You're listening to a main session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. What's up, Ark? How y'all doing? So excited to be here. Let me tell y'all something. It, it, it's gotten a lot more diverse since I showed up in 2012. I was the only black guy in the room. Come on, somebody. And the gun laws weren't good, so I just was a good black guy. But I thank God for diversity. I want you to just look around the room and look at diversity. There's socioeconomic diversity. There is gender diversity. There is generational diversity. And Matthew 5.14 is just very clear. And I love the message version. It says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light bringing out the God colors of the world. It says God is not a secret to be kept. We're going as public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I'm so glad that Ark and this Ark family is a public city. Come on, somebody. Everybody can jump on this pool. We ain't no private pool. And I'm just excited about our seven and seven. It's not seven in seven. Well, it is seven in seven. Most people say seven on seven. That happened in the green room. We had a fight. There was actually 14 speakers. (laughs) These seven made it out. And I'm telling y'all, I saw it go down. It was real. Don't start none, won't be none. And so I want to introduce to you your seven diverse, come on somebody, your seven diverse speakers, why don't you give it up for them as they join the platform with me. Let's do better than that, everybody. We are truly better together, come on. We got a white girl up here named Tasha, come on. We better. I thought she was going to be black. She's like, hi. (laughs) I clap on the one of the three, not the two and the four. My name's Tasha. (laughs) I thank God that Ark is diversifying. I tell my black friends, they were like, Ark ain't black enough. I was like, because you won't stay. Come on, brother. We need you. But we're going to do a little seven in seven because y'all won the seven on seven in the back. And I just want to introduce you to you, our just amazing, amazing communicators. And I want to just say this, this is not a competition, this is a compilation. There's nothing like a good mixtape. You look like a good mixtape up here, don't it? And, and so first we want to introduce, and I want you to just give everybody a hand, Tim Biddle, come on somebody, from the Father's House in San Francisco, and him and his wife Robin, 2018, been going strong, amen, amen. Y'all one more time, Tim Biddle. Justice Coleman launched Freedom Church and his wife Maria and Callie. Come on, going back to Callie. It never rains in Southern California. Another song. Maisha Cheney pastors Antioch Church in Long Beach, California, along with Wayne Cheney. And y'all are killing the game. Absolutely grateful for you. Come on, let me flip the page here. Matt Brown started at Sandals Church. Let's go. Sandals Church. Michael Jordan's church. Jordan's church. My church be called Jordan's church. Yours is Sandals. Sandals Church. Tasha. Come on, this is my sister. Tasha. I can't say her last name. Hardware. Tasha Hardware. She and her husband, Joseph, are worship pastors in Vacaville, at the Vacaville campus at the Father's House in Napa. Amen, amen. Anthony Flores. There we go. I will salsa right now. I will salsa 
right now. Come on, somebody. Launch Adventure Church and him and his wife Mandy in Fresno, California. Let's go. And holding it down for the light-skinned folks at the end over here. Y'all give it up for my dude, Tim Timberlake, Pastor's Christian Faith Center. And he is killing the game. And so we got seven in seven, because y'all won seven on seven. Don't be a black preacher and go over. Amen. Let's get it. Come on, y'all give it up. Tim. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, uh, as a family, we have a number of values here at ARC, and I've been tasked to talk to you about the value of giving or the value of generosity. And uh, this is something I'm immensely passionate about. It's been a huge part of my story, my family's story, and our church's journey. And I want to give you two words that have guided my life for the last couple of years. And I know you probably don't take notes during these sessions unless you're going to go preach one of these sermons at your church later on down the road. Oh, sorry. Um, But I want you to write these two words down uh, because they will change your life as they've changed mine. And here they are. Live wastefully. Live wastefully. Now, I know that sounds like bad advice, especially in this context and this kind of a conference. Many of you are here because ARC gave you money or you're asking ARC for money. And so telling you to live wastefully is probably not the best advice. But uh, let me explain what I mean, because I'm not advocating Bitcoin investment or, you know, going down to Vegas and throwing your seed money on the table or something like that. So, so let me be clear about what I'm talking about. Most of you would understand the story in Mark chapter 14, where Jesus is having dinner just a couple of days before he's going to be handed over to be crucified. And in this dinner setting, a woman walks into the room and she has a, a vial of perfume that she breaks open and she begins to pour out on Jesus. And this is not any ordinary bottle of perfume. This is not your run-of-the-mill Aqua de Joe or Chanel number no. 5. This is bougie perfume, all right? It's a, it, the Bible tells us that it is worth one year's wages. I'm from San Francisco, median income, about 105000 per household. So this is an expensive bottle of perfume. And what does she do? She breaks it open, and she begins to pour it out on Jesus to the disdain of all of the other dinner guests in the room. Some of them start talking, they start complaining, they start asking one another, what what is she doing? This is ridiculous. And one of them pipes up because they've got the guts to say something and they say, why would you waste such expensive perfume? Why the waste on Jesus? They accuse this woman of living wastefully. But you know the story, Jesus rebukes them and he's like, no, don't, don't, don't mess with her. She's done a good thing. She's prepared me for burial. And then he makes a statement that I want to camp on for just a couple of moments because this is the only place in scripture that Jesus ever makes a statement. He says, from now on, everywhere the gospel is going to be preached, this story is going to be told. From now on, from this point forward, anytime you hear the gospel preached, you're going to hear this story of people making an accusation of wasteful living in the face of radical generosity. I was reading through that story one day, and I started asking the question to myself, like, really, every time the gospel's preached, every church is going to tell the story of this woman. And the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 that's not exactly what we meant here. Actually, what, what we were saying is that from now on, everywhere the true gospel is preached, that the watching world would look at the church, the watching world would look at the individuals preaching the gospel, and they would say, man, how could you waste so much of your life on Jesus? That, that radical generosity would be mistaken for wasteful living. Let me say something that I believe with every ounce of my heart. It is a deep conviction of mine. I believe as Jesus preaching, 
Bible communicating, lovers of Jesus, people who are planting churches, we ought to be the most generous, the most irrationally radical generous people on the face of the planet. We should incite an accusation among a watching world to say, how could you spend so much on Jesus? And here's why. Because the same Jesus who rebuked those people at the dinner table that day is the one who said in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Radical generosity is nothing more than an outward display of a radical love. And those who've been in love before, here's what they understand. What's spent in love is never wasted. How many in love today? How many would say you're in love? How many still hoping? Okay, you got some options here, just a few. Not very many, a lot of married folks, but there's a few you guys running around here. If you're desperate, you can find somebody. Um, I've been in love for 15 years. I've been married my wife for, well, longer than that, but I've been married for 15 years. And uh, because I love my wife, let me tell you, I have wasted some things on her. I have wasted a lot of money on my wife. Things that she does not use and things that she does not wear any longer, I have spent some money on my bride. Preach, amen. I've wasted some time on my wife. Uh, Many of you won't understand this because you're millennials, but back in my day, we didn't actually have the ability to text and have a conversation. I was pre-cell phone days. We had like pagers. And and in order to have a conversation with somebody, you actually had to have a conversation with somebody. And so we would sit on the phone for hours at nighttime just talking about nothing. And when we ran out of nothing to talk about, we would spend another 20 minutes just trying to get off the phone with the other person. You hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, okay, we're going to count to three, and then we're going to hang up at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. He didn't hang up. I wasted hours on the phone with my wife at two o'clock in the morning. But you know what? Despite all the money and time I've wasted on my wife, I have never issued her an invoice to say, I've lost some wages and I've lost some time on you. You owe me. I've given you so much. Why? Because I'm in love. And what you spend in love is never wasted. If we truly love Jesus, come on, if he is the object of our affection, if he truly is the one that we're living our lives for, then whether it's our budgets or our church incomes or our personal finances, we ought to be able to say, you know what? I'm not going to just put a percentage on this. I'm going to waste every ounce of what I have, every bit of my passion, every dollar in my bank account, because I love him so much. I will gladly waste my life on Jesus. Because listen, let's be honest. He's wasted a whole lot on you. It wasn't the waste of the Father to send Jesus, although that could have been the accusation. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You weren't looking for him. You didn't want him. It seemed like an unreasonable sacrifice to make. But what did that radical act of love produce? What did that radical sacrifice produce? It produced a love in you to reciprocate back to the very one who said, I will gladly waste my son on humanity. Live generously and love wastefully. What's up, Ark family? If I'm not careful, I will use all seven minutes 
Just thanking the ARC lead team for making this conference happen. Man, I want to thank Pastor Greg and Pastor Chris and the whole fam, because when we started our church eight years ago, there was not a West Coast conference, so we had to take our team to Texas. So thank you so much for starting a West Coast conference, and let's just thank them one time. Man, we started in my apartment eight years ago, my wife Maria and I. Actually, we started in a laundromat, and I don't know if you all have heard of Laundry Love, but my buddy came up with this idea. And we're like, here's our Bible study of eight friends. Half of them just started following Jesus that year. And we said, we're going to go in these laundromat, and we're going to pay for everybody's laundry in the building. No strings attached. We're not going to tell people about Jesus or like, you know, push anything on them. We're just going to try to love our neighbor and serve. That's the value I'm supposed to talk about, serving. And I remember I got there that first day, and I'm trying to lead these people. I mean, I baptized these guys like in an apartment pool. Like, they're just learning as we go. And this guy walks in for laundry love, and he's got uh, basketball shorts on, sagged real low, and he's got covered in tattoos, and he's got, he's got tube socks and flip-flops, so you know, that, you know he's a G. So <laughs> he comes walking in, right? And I'm like, this white boy from the valley, I'm like, hey, bro, it's laundry love. We're here to do your laundry. Glad you came. <laughs> Dude doesn't even look at me. He's just like, puts his laundry in the machine, and then like, I think he blew me a kiss. He's like, and like walked out. <laughs> and my Bible study is like, what are we doing? Like, this guy totally doesn't appreciate us serving him right now. <laughs> and I was like, well, all I know is that this dude better be back in 45 minutes because I am not about to touch homeboys wet chonies and move them to the dryer. <laughs> I mean, I love Jesus, but obviously that's too much. And... By the grace of God, this guy shows back up, and he moves his laundry, and I'm like, hey, bro, and he just doesn't say anything to me. This time, I'm not making this up, dude is not even wearing a shirt. Tube socks, flip-flops, tattoos, no shirt, and he's got a brand new tattoo across his chest. And you can tell it's brand new, because it's all red and irritated, and like, and my Bible says, look at me like, um, is this what we do? Is this how we serve? where this guy spent the money that he was supposed to spend on his laundry on going next door and getting a tattoo. Is that what we do? We serve people by sponsoring the under-resourced with their tattoos? Is that, is that our ministry? And so this guy's not talking to me, but we just kept doing this every month, and I, same, same time, same people, and I, 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 I built a friendship with this guy. His name was Jason, and uh, one day the laundromat was packed, and uh, he comes to me, he's like, hey, Justice, you know, I was just looking at this other laundromat down the road here, and there's a lot of people in here, and we're not going to be able to do everybody's laundry. So, you know, what if I took some people and I went and started one down the street right here so we could do more people's laundry? And I was like, Jason, bless your heart. You are not a Christian, correct? <laughs> He's like, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian fool. And I was like, okay. I don't have... I don't have time to explain this, but basically, I'm, I'm going to need to teach you to develop leaders. You're going to need an apprentice. You're going to need, I'm going to need you to teach you to be a team builder. We haven't even started our church yet. We have, I'm going to need to get you in growth track. We're going to have to fast track. I'm like, what do you even do for a living, Jason? How do I know you have the skills? He said, street pharmaceuticals. 
for my homeschool friends in the house, he's a, he's a drug dealer. And so I'm like, so I just, I start praying because as a pastor, if you're here and you're new and you're starting a church, there's going to be times where you don't know what to do. Can I get a show of hands if you've been there? So I put God on a shot clock. You can try this. I'm like 10 Mississippi, nine Mississippi. Lord, um, my friend Jason, who's not a Christian, is going to serve at my church. I need to know, you know, we haven't started the church yet. Is that okay? Eight Mississippi, seven Mississippi. Dear Lord, Jason, the drug dealer, is about to start my multi-site ministry. Six Mississippi, five Mississippi. Four Mississippi. Dear Lord Jesus, Jason, the drug dealer, is about, he's about to become my executive pastor. I'm gonna need you to let me know if this is okay. Four Mississippi, three Mississippi, two Mississippi, crickets. <laughs> You ever have that where God just does not answer your prayers, or am I the only lead pastor in this position? And I'm like, okay, Lord, so I said, okay, can I start a Bible study at your house next door to this laundromat? He goes, yeah. I said, okay, we'll do that. Would you believe me if I told you that this guy started a laundry love operation the next month? Man, he did such a great job. Turns out he's a hustler. We were doing laundry and serving people, and that was in the DNA. Before we ever even had a Sunday morning experience, we had this going on, and, and then he comes to me one day after, after Laundry Love, and he said, Justice, you know, I, I was sitting on the side of my bed after Laundry Love last night, and man, I just, I never felt like I've made such a difference with my life before. I want you to know, last night, I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, hey, you know how we're launching this church and we have launch day coming up and there's gonna be water baptisms? Would you baptize me on launch day for the grand opening of our church? Man, I got to baptize Jason on day one. Check this out, check this out. And then I got to watch him turn and baptize his 11-year-old son that was in our Bible study. And the managers of the apartment complex. I just... You know, you get up here and you have seven minutes and I go, God, just give me something to say to your people. And this is the word that God put on my heart for you. First Corinthians 1031, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whether you're doing laundry, do it all. Come on to the glory of God, because I tell you, you may be thinking God's going to bless your great plans. Let me tell you for somebody who's had tons of just lousy plans. God ain't looking at your plans. Come on. He's looking at your faith. And if you don't know what to do. Just do the thing that's gonna give him the most worship. Do the thing that's gonna give him the most glory. Make sure that everybody knows and your life demands an explanation. Let's go! Hi. I'm Aisha Cheney, and my family vibe is Unite. I am thankful to be married to my husband, Wayne. We've been married and in ministry for about 15 years. Somebody should like celebrate the fact. In modern times, it's still happening. We're still in love. It's a miracle. But when I was married, I got married at, at 20 years old to a senior pastor. I learned something really quickly. I had to actually like people. I mean, to unite means to come together to, for a common purpose. And early on, I had a hard time doing that. 
I'm sure he had some silent frustrations. <laughs> Nothing personal. I just didn't like people. <laughs> I'm an introvert, and it was work for me to get together to plan meetings. I mean, I'm the one that will get a, a plan a marriage retreat, right? And get some people together and then tell them what I want them to do and then send an email with all of their assignments. Like, like that's me. I just, I love them, but it was hard work for me. And I would invite people over to my house for the barbecue and, and get all the food and make all the preparations and then go upstairs and get on my laptop. Dysfunction at its finest. I mean, even in school, whenever the teacher would give the group project, I would be like, no, please, no group work. People don't hold their end of the bargain. They do what they want to do. It's always on me to have to bring the whole project together. I was just like, no, no groups, no working together. I didn't want to depend on other people to accomplish a goal that affected me. I, was, I didn't like procrastination. I didn't like people not having a plan. I mean, I have some issues, right? In fact, I like my own ideas better than other people. I just, I just like my ideas. I, I'm thankful for yours, but I like mine better. The only time I was interested in coming together was when we were going to discuss what we were going to do individually. Can I get an amen in the house? If I was a betting man, I'd bet it all on me. I could do things with myself, by myself, for myself, because guess what? I would never disappoint myself. I was good at what I did and had enough wins to convince me that it was all good for me. And I'm not the only one in the room. Can I get a witness? But you want to know the truth? The truth is I was self-reliant and self-sufficient because I made the false assumption that it was my sole responsibility to meet my own needs. I lived under the weight of having to make it all happen for me and by me. And at the core of my being, I was just afraid. I was afraid to trust people. I wanted to be liked, so I was afraid that people would, would not like me as much if I had too much to say or if, if I said something wrong. I, if I needed your help and I went to you and I connected with you and then you didn't make good on that promise, that would hurt 10 times more than me never asking you at all. I didn't throw parties for much of my life because I didn't even know if people would come. So underneath the surface of this well-actualized, go-getter, driven, productive woman was this girl that needed to know the world was safe and that people were okay meeting my own needs. My issues and what was going on beneath the surface pulled me away from the very people I should have been drawn to. And meanwhile, I'm praying prayers saying, God, help me. Help me. I can't do this all by myself. And then I was pushing away the very answers to God's prayers, to my prayers to God. God did something to shift my entire paradigm. You know what he did? He brought me to my limit. I reached my ceiling. 
I couldn't go any higher. I couldn't do it all anymore. Felt like the dreams were getting bigger. The plans were getting bigger. Somehow I was getting smaller. I was insufficient. I, I just couldn't do it. I, it was just like everything I knew to do and it wasn't working. Maybe you've been there where you've run all the right plays, but you still lost the game. Where I was given double the effort for half of the results. Something was missing and something was broken. I start questioning things. Maybe I'm not supposed to be in ministry. I don't know what's going on. What's happening? And you know what God did? God created a divine limitation. And Moses knows about that divine limitation. As long as he had his hands up, Joshua had supernatural victory in battle. But his arms got tired. And Aaron and Ur had to come alongside to support him. And then Israel won. But why would God do that? God did a miracle in the battle that he didn't do in Moses' arms. He did a miracle around him that he didn't do in him. So whenever God wants to draw you to others, he won't give you everything you need from his own hand. He could have strengthened Moses' arms, but he allowed him to be supported by another person. He drew them together. He used that for them to broker a victory together. He taught him, Moses, you are not all sufficient by yourself. You do not have it all figured out. You need other people. God's desire has always been to draw his people both vertically and horizontally. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your height, heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to draw. He wants to draw us to himself and he wants to draw us to others. Here's one thing that I've learned, and this is just the most important thing that has held me, that as God is drawing me, and he has done a, a wonderful miracle in my heart. I love people. I love being with people. But your presence here at Ark, your friendship, your words, your kindness is God's hand extended to me. It's God's way of actually loving me by putting me in environments with people. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my name is Matt Brown from Sandals Church. You said this was a, a diverse panel, and I was trying to figure out where I fit in because we already heard from the white dude. Um, and then I realized, Gene, I'm the old dude. That, that's what it is. So thank you. I'm honored to be here. Uh, Tim, you'll pay for that later. Somebody in the hallway stopped me and said, Pastor Matt, I just want to thank you for how you've gone on before the rest of us. And I want you to know that uh, I was offended. Um, and so, li listen to me, young bucks. Listen to me. It goes by. It goes by so fast. It just does. It just does. I was telling Justice. We were sitting on the side. I told him I hurt my shoulder. Listen, this is how you know when you're young. When you're young, you got a story. Well, how'd you hurt your shoulder? This is what I told Justice. I don't know. I I I, I don't know. I I. I I woke up and it doesn't work. That's what happened. It just, right, it just, so I'm the old guy, right? I'm the old guy. So let me talk to the young bucks. There, there are going to be moments in your ministry where if you hear from God and you obey, he will take you where he's called you. But in those moments, if you don't listen, he will leave you where you are. I don't know if this 
Seven minutes is a moment, but if it is, I pray you listen to God. Because I sat in a conference and I heard from a speaker who talked on honor, which is my topic. I'm gonna tell you, I didn't like him. I didn't like the way he was dressed. I thought he was old. I did. I said, what is this guy gonna teach me? He was a yeller. He screamed the whole time. But about halfway through his rant, the Holy Spirit started to poke my soul. I was so upset. I was so impacted by this message. We drove from home from the conference in silence. My wife and another major pastor, another, another called man of God, a man who had influence over thousands, myself and my wife. My wife was uncomfortable. She could tell something was wrong. We got back to the place we were staying. I said, I need to talk to you in the bedroom. She said, what is going on? I said, I need, I need to confess something to you. Listen to me, guys. I'd only got on my knees one other time. And that was to ask her to marry me. I got on my knees and I said, I have not honored you. And I said, the Holy Spirit's wrecked me. He's wrecked me. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? She said, I forgive you and listen to me. I walked out into the lobby and I met that other pastor called of God, gifted of God. I said, man, that, ser that sermon spoke to me. It wrecked me. He said, it wrecked me too. I said, what did you hear the Holy Spirit say? And here's what he said. He said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I need to let people honor me. Same sermon. Same God, same spirit. Do you know where that guy is today? Nowhere. Nowhere. You see, we can sit in a service and hear the same Holy Spirit and hear two different things. Let me challenge you. Raise your hand if you're married. Honor your wife. Honor your husband. You don't have to pray about it. The Bible says God will judge those who do not honor the marriage bed. Honor it. Single people, raise your hands. Honor your marriage bed. Honor your marriage bed. Oh, you want to get in it. God's waiting for you to honor it. Honor it. Number two. Number two. Honor where God has you. Some of you want to be up here. God has you right there. Honor him there, and then he might put you up here. You see, we want God to honor where he's called us, but God wants us to honor where he's placed us. Where has he placed you today? I meet all these church planners running around. God said this. God, God spoke to me one time, and I've sat there for 22 years. You want God to honor where he's called you, honor where he's placed you. Your people are not a platform. They are a privilege. When I heard that sermon, Sandals was a struggling church. Some of you guys, oh, we're struggling. We got multi-site dude in the 90s. Are you eating? You're doing good, bro. 
You're doing good. You ate today? That was the 90s. There's no conference, no relationships, right? There was one ark and Moses was on it. I mean, I mean, I mean, Noah was on it. That was it. Nobody's going to save you, bro. Look, humble yourselves, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Tammy and I were struggling and God spoke and I humbled myself and I confessed my sin and the Lord has done great things at Sandals Church. Listen to me. Some of you feel like you don't matter to God and, and nobody knows where you stand. Let me tell you something. We'll all hear about you if you fall. See, that's what the devil knows. You feel like you're not getting credit for your stand, but the devil wants to give attention for your fall. So listen, listen, let me just say this. Let me close with this. Would you just honor where God has someone else? Maybe, maybe the reason, maybe the reason so many pastors are full of anxiety is because we're focused on someone else's seat rather than the seat God has for us. Paul says this, if one part is honored, all should be glad. We're on the same team, amen? Love you. Hello, Ark family. Today, I get to talk to you on the value of love. And 22 years ago, I planted a church. I'm just kidding. My parents, Dave and Donna Patterson, planted a church when I was nine years old with just a handful of people in a living room. And little did I know the impact their decision was gonna make on my life for the next 20 plus years and beyond. And you know, so many times, uh, you know, growing up in church, I saw all kinds of stuff go on. You know what I mean? Growing up in a pastor's home and experiencing all those things. And I remember, you know, the days where I, I wanted to be the operator of the overhead projector. How many of you guys remember those bad boys? So that was my first ministry job, right? So I'm the operator of the overhead projector. Just thinking about it makes my palms sweat. As a nine-year-old child, I was responsible for bringing the lyrics to the congregation. I couldn't handle it. I literally had a meltdown, went to my dad. I was like, here's my two-week notice. I'm resigning. I moved on to kids ministry after that and it all went up from there, thank God. But church planning was my childhood. Childhood was church planning from late nights and prayer meetings to our uh, church phone line was in my parents' bedroom. My dad's office was in the garage. There was early morning, wake up, tear down at rented facilities. That was childhood. But I also remember the times when my parents would have worshipers over to the house and they would gather them in and I would remember sneaking down the hallway around midnight to still find them worshiping and praying and weeping on the ground. And as a 10, 11 year old kid, I didn't wanna leave that atmosphere. There was a tangible presence and nearness of God. And in that moment, something was imprinted on my life at a very young age. And that was a passion for the presence of Jesus. And also I fell in love with Jesus because I encountered him firsthand for myself. I encountered the presence of Jesus right there and right then. 
And from that moment on, things changed, things moved forward, and God did so much in my life. But listen, it didn't just start from that moment. It wasn't just by accident that God's presence came. No, it was because it was a priority from day one. And there's a lot of you in this room today. It's your day one. It's your first day, your church planners, your new leaders, next generation pastors. And I wanna ask you this question today. What will the church look like that we build for the next generation? What will the church look like that we build for the next generation? You know, because it's not just what we think in our minds, but it's what we do with our actions. What will the church look like for the next generation? You know, because there's a sad story in the book of Judges chapter two, where Joshua and the armies of God were taking possession of the promised land. And just two generations prior, and Joshua's generation, they had a firsthand experience of the revelation of God. They crossed the Jordan on dry ground. They, they saw the walls of Jericho fall down. They had a firsthand experience. But then the second generation comes and they know about the things that their parents' generation experienced, but it was a secondhand experience. Then the third generation shows up and in Judges chapter two, verse 10, it says, then a generation arose that neither knew God nor knew what he had done for Israel. In other words, when the generation prior lost their firsthand relationship with God, the generation following didn't even know God. And I'm here to tell you today, I'm begging you today to come back to your first love because listen our generation doesn't need a watered down second hand nice version of the gospel we need a revival we need an encounter we need a first hand experience and it's in our hands it's in our responsibility so wake up get ready because it's time on behalf of my generation and the ones to follow this is what I'm asking you today Would you burn again? Would you be desperate again? Will you have a passion again? Don't get stuck with where you're at. Don't make church complicated. Come back to the very thing that brought you here in the first place, and that is the love of God. You know, and now in my 30s, my husband and I, we are praying and we're preparing for the next season of our church. As two decades, my parents have pastored and they've they've done everything, they've given their lives for it. And as we walk into a lead role in the next few years, here's the thing I'm saying. As weighty and daunting as that sounds and is, I can tell you this, the same thing that started our church will what be, will what be, sustains it into the future. And that is a passion and a fire for the love of Jesus. That it would burn so deep. And listen, I wanna tell you today, on behalf of those coming, on behalf of the other churches, on behalf of Ark, we need to display the love of Jesus in such a way that the lost come running. We need to burn for Jesus in such a way that the broken come running. Listen, don't lead in a way that ends when you cross the finish line. No, lead in such a way that when your little girl hears you down the hallway at night, her heart begins to burn for him. Lead in such a way that the junior higher in your church who comes from a messed up broken family he sees your passion and he burns for Jesus lead in such a way that the broken the misplaced the confused the addicted the richest of the rich they come running to Jesus because they long to taste and see of the goodness of God that burns inside of you And maybe you need that reminder today to burn again, to have fire again, to come back to that first love when you said, God, whatever you want with my life, I'm yours. The love that you didn't deserve, but he gave it to you anyways. 
the love that brought you to this art or conference in the first place. Come back to that place. Stir that fire again and let the Holy Spirit burn in you so that the lost can come running and the church can be revived. In my last minute, I just want you to join with me and sing this old song together and let the fire of God burn in you. Come on, sing this out. Oh Lord, please light the fire. Come on, lift it high. That wants burn bright and clean and replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy. Sing, oh Lord, you're beautiful. We sing, oh Lord, your beauty, your face, oh God. And your face is all Let's give the Lord a hand, amen. Thank you, Tasha. I was so good. So good. Have a seat real quick. Oh my gosh. First off, I want to thank Justice for leading my primo to the Lord. Thank you so much, Justice. Appreciate it. I knew he was a cholo when you described him with the tattoo, bro. I was like, come on. Hello. My name is Anthony. I want to thank the ARC team for giving me this opportunity. To all my peers, it's such a privilege. I pastor in the beautiful city of Fresno, California. What's up, 559? You might know it better as where Derek Carr played football. Come on. Either that or you watched an episode of Gangland, yeah? So, Kayona gente? what's up? We made it. I want to encourage you. Say and see, say puede, pays off. Come on. They added some carne asada up into the mix. A little pico, come on, yeah. Hey, I want to talk to you. My, my subject is on believe. And I want to read you something I found in that ARC booklet that probably nobody read. But I read it, Pastor Dino, I read it. I read, and this is what I read. <laughs> Did that give me any extra points? Okay, thank you, thank you, okay, good. Thank you, it said this, one of the greatest things about our founder, Billy Hornsby, was that he believed in couples who no longer believed in themselves. There are so many pastors I have heard tell their story, and their, and their turning point of, for them was when they realized somebody believed. And then, who am I talking to already? And he, he went on to say this. What I love about that now is that not just Billy Hornsby, but all of ARC is believing in you. All of this ARC family is pulling for you. Whether you're a future church planner, hey, a recent planter, what's up? Or you may have been a pastor at your church for over 50 years. Please know the ARC family believes in you. How many of you know your belief determines your behavior, right? I didn't come up with that. Pastor Robert Morris did, and I stole it. And I act like it's mine. And what I want you to know is they literally believe this. They believe in two things. That you, that you should have a life-giving church, number one. And that you should what? Not do ministry alone. And I found the ark in 2015 when I went to a, a grow conference at Pastor Benny's church and Pastor Chris Hodges was preaching. And then someone there said, you got to go to ark Alabama. I said, are there Mexicanos in Alabama? 
because when I went there, I doubled it right away because I took my family. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I, I took a picture. Uh, I think the place was like taco time or something, but I took a picture and my mom said, mijo, what is that? I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I might eat it because it's all there is. And when I went there, I, I literally felt, I literally felt like I was home. See, when I started my church eight years ago in my living room, I sat down with my bishop over, over, over dinner, or excuse me, lunch at Red Robin. How many know what I'm talking about? Endless basket of fries, come on. And when I sat down, I told him about what was stirring in my heart. And he said, Anthony, I can give you no people, no building, and no money. I said, no problem. And when it came out of my mouth, I looked at my wife and I said, what did I say? Like, we're poor, my church is in the hood. Like, we're urban, but listen, not hipsters, okay? No, no lattes and chai teas. We're more like EBT, Cholos and Lolos, okay? You understand? That's what we are. And so, I was like, what did I say? So I did the most godly thing I thought I could do. I told my wife to order another basket of fries, steal the season salt, and take all the napkins. See, you know why I said take the napkins. The rest of you are going, runny nose? No, something for later. And, and so when I, when, I, when, I, when I found the ark, y'all, somebody just got that. It's okay. You, everybody who grew up with the body will get that one right there. You take ketchup, mustard, napkins. So, so when, I found, when I found the ark, it was refreshing. Because see, I've been to conferences and they always give you this, this, this fire hydrant of information. They tell you, go win the loss. They tell you, go make disciples. But then they never really give you application. See, what's not lacking in the church right now is information. Information's everywhere. You can Google anything. Certain things you cannot Google. You cannot Google work ethic. You need someone to partner with you. Can't Google honor. You need someone to show you. You need someone to display it. And so when I found there, what I realized is that if I want the revelation of God in my life, I need to do the application, because why do you need a fresh word when you didn't obey the last word? See, I understand. I understand that everybody is wanting organic things. We want organic. Well, I mean, I don't really want anything organic, but I, I'm just saying that's not how that works. Unless my pico, the guy was fresh. I don't want anything organic. Um, I realize people are all craving this organic, this organic move, organic relationships but all we feed is our superficial. We're expecting to make friends over Instagram and Facebook. No, your next friend is sitting next to you. See, I felt like last night when Pastor Jensen was preaching and he was telling everybody they're a little extra. Where I come from, you don't tell people they're extra. But I caught my extra last night when he threw it out to the audience. Why? Because I felt like the Spirit of God was blowing in this place and he was speaking to somebody now's the time for you to make a pivot now's the time for you to make a shift what in your thinking your next great ministry opportunity might be sitting next to you or it might be already deposited on the inside of you but you've got to do what they're telling you to do and that's what the ark does take this class take that class what to give you that application of what God is is speaking into your heart Right here, right now. So here's what I want to say with the last few seconds that I got. By the way, hard for a Mexican to do seven minutes. That's just my family's names. Come on. I mean, it's brutal. 
Here's what I want to say. I truly, I truly believe in what I'm about to tell you. So you who are sitting, who are sitting down disgruntled, there's not, not a pill I could give you that's going to take away your anxiety, your depression, your fears, or give you 30 seconds of courage. There is not a drink that is going to satisfy your soul. There's not a swipe right that is going to do you good. But what I can say is that the Spirit of the living God wants to move in your life if you allow them to believe in you. What's going on, Ark family? They put me last. Everybody said everything already. We've laughed. We've laughed some more. We've laughed with and laughed at. What else is there to be said? My value is the word dream. As a family, we have an opportunity to dream together. I was sitting on the front row in praise and worship and I was jotting down a couple of thoughts and I know you're supposed to plan for these things and, you know. I'm not a big planner. But I thought about this sentence in Genesis chapter 40, verse 12. Joseph says, this is what the dream means. This is what the dream means. He's is in prison. And what I know is a lot of us have a dream. But at the same point, we feel in prison. If we're not careful, we'll allow the dream that has not come to pass become a prison of frustration because our reality looks different than what God showed us. Joseph is in this prison and he's talking to a wine holder and he's talking to a baker. And he said, this is what the dream means. And I look at that. I said, well, didn't Joseph have a dream? But the thing that freed Joseph out of his prison wasn't his dream. It was the ability to help somebody else with theirs. Yeah, hey, I got, I got four more minutes. Y'all got to work with me here. <laughs> He's in, he's in prison. He's dealing with pain. And, and I just took notice that the size of your dream will determine the pain you can endure. You have come too far to give up on your dream. You may be locked up, but you still got a dream. You say, I don't know what that dream is. But the thing that you can do is help someone else to find theirs. The thing I love about this family is this family has said to me, this 
is what the dream means. I can't tell you how many of the lead team have impacted my life. I can go down the list. I can go down each and every single last one of them and say, hey, this person did this, this person did that, this person did this, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt for me and my wife, each one of them has told us this is what the dream means. The thing that attaches me to ARC and people ask me all the time, hey, why are you a part of ARC? You don't look like you belong in that family. It's simple. It's because they looked at me and said, this is what the dream means. I had a dream in my heart that was bigger than my reality. And they said, this is what that dream means. I remember being in a green room at a particular conference of which I won't call, but I just happened to be speaking at it and nobody was talking to me. And Pastor Dino Rizzo comes from across the room. He sees me. This is some years ago. He says, hey, you're Tim Timberlake. I said, hey, you're Pastor Dino Rizzo. <laughs> he has a conversation with me about when he was 19. And then packed my parents out on his life. And fast forward some years, he's on TBN and they're hosting and they're interviewing him about the dream he had in his heart. And then he asked me, what's in your heart? I may not look like the rest of the family and I thank God for that. <laughs> But the reason I'm attached to it is not so that I can see my dreams come to pass. It's so I can help others define this is what the dream means. Your dream is your invisible companion that's leading you from this season to the next. I remember I was... I was in high school and, and, and I, was, I was asleep and I was dreaming uh, about a particular actress. Her name was Holly Berry. <laughs> and, and this is before I met my wife and you know, I was dreaming and, and Holly Berry looked at me. She said, come on over here and get a kiss. I said, you sure? <laughs> she said, yeah, come on. And so I got ready to go over there and she grabbed my face in this dream. And my mom has my face trying to wake me up. <laughs> Have you ever had a dream that was so good and you got woken up out of it, you tried to go back to sleep and pick up where you left off? I looked at my mom, I said, don't wake me up. And I came to tell you today, this is the dream. My prayer for you is that you don't wake up. Amen. Come on, let's stand and give it up for all of our speakers. I'm going to ask y'all to join. Can y'all come up here with me? Come on. Let's give it up for all of our speakers and the anointing on this stage. 
I believe that the local church is the hope of the world and the future of the church is in great hands. And I believe that we are better together. And just by saying, I just want us to link up because I believe that God is going to release some suddenlies because there's some unities. Come on, somebody. And Ark has not seen its best days yet. This is the future of Ark. Come on, somebody. All of us coming together to populate heaven and depopulate hell. So can we just grab the hand of the person sitting next to you? Father, we thank you, God, that our best days are ahead of us and our worst days are behind us. And God, the world hasn't seen anything yet because God, in Psalms 133, you said how good and pleasant it is when brethren come together and dwell in unity. There you will command a blessing. So we command our communities to make Jesus famous in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God. God, for Ark, we thank you that we are family. We thank you that we are better together. God, we thank you, God, that our best days are ahead of us and our worst days are behind us. You, my brother, you, my sister, we gonna do this thing together in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. Let's go. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Ark Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming art conference, visit artconference.com.